Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, and we have a big-time football show planned for today. We're going to talk to Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star to get his take on the program, which over the last week or so, last couple of weeks, has changed even more over this offseason. But before we get into football, Brett, let's talk about basketball because we want to get that out of the way. <laughs> Arizona went up to the Mountain Schools, lost two games. The second loss was well, the first game started off better and finished poorly. The second game started off poorly, finished better, but still there's no loss to both Utah and Colorado. Yeah, the the Utah game, I've already largely tried to push from my memory because that game was just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, yeah. Uh. You know, it was, it was one of those ones where there, I don't know, you know, Azulis Tabellis looked pretty good in that game, but overall just, you know, nobody particularly played well. Um, and Arizona basically got roundly defeated. I think I think Tabellis himself said they got their their asses kicked. He was right. I believe was it was an yeah. excellent assessment. And then the Colorado game, you know, I I I missed watching that live. I caught the last few minutes because I went up north to Flagstaff for an overnight trip, and then I rewatched it. And boy, that game had. There's a lot to unpack from the the slow start to the strong finish to questionable officiating calls to you know guys excelling and struggling all in the same game, <laughs> right? Um, that I, I think Sean Miller ended up after that game being fairly happy with the way his team responded, uh, and Ben Matherin responding fairly well uh, to the benching. Um, and you know, I think he finished that game with 22 points in in 30 minutes. Uh, though he did get called for a very questionable foul call from Batty. Um, <laughs> with these games, like had Arizona been eligible for the postseason, we'd be analyzing the hell out of this road trip. Oh yeah, you know, because it left them 13 and six, seven and six in the conference, so they're closer to the bubble than they otherwise were before it started. But yeah, the Utah game was one of those where you just want to kind of flush it away. Like, this was just, a, especially the second half, was just bad. Utah's a talented enough team. Like, that's a tough road trip, the mountain trip. It is. But that game was just horrible. Then the start to the Colorado game, because I, I don't think we have much going on for the Wildcat Radio Twitter account because Bryant wasn't available. I don't think I have the passwords for it, and you weren't even able to watch it. I was doing some stuff around the house. I was like, oh, yeah, the game started. So I turned it on, and it was like 17-2. to two. So if you start from that perspective, I saw Arizona blow out Colorado. You know, <laughs> but they went, Arizona went on like a 77 to I don't know, 65 run to finish the game. Like, great. But, but it was like, you watch it, like, what is happening to this team? Like, how are they coming out so flat after that game against Utah? Like, it was like, okay, how do they respond? Very poorly. But then they battled back, and Colorado's not a great team, and they had blown a big lead before. You know, I think it was to Utah, actually, that they blew a big lead, too. 
So it was like, okay, Arizona can't come back, but Arizona did come back, and Arizona took the lead late in that game. They couldn't make enough plays down the stretch. They couldn't get any stops, and of course the questionable foul calls. But just if it, it's not. Can you even say moral victory at this point in the season for them? Because how about you don't get down 17-2? to two? You know, how about you don't need to come back from that? Yeah, that that the, the first few minutes of that game actually felt like the second Arizona ASU game. Like, where, now you know how ASU felt. Well, yeah, because Colorado not came good. out uh, aggressive, and Arizona was not ready for it, and I, you know, not an excuse at all. But in both games, I actually kind of wondered if Arizona wasn't ready for the altitude and that kind of <laughs> grogginess. That's maybe a terrible there. excuse if that's the case. Like, I, I don't disagree, but have you ever gone and done something athletic at elevation after not yeah, having trained? You could have stopped. Have you ever gone and done something athletic? Uh, and you fair. have your answer. But they, 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 these guys, are, they play, they, they practice. Like, they were there. They just played a game at Utah. Like, I don't think they were dealing with the... You know, with the, yeah. I don't think that was the issue anyway. Well, and, and we talked, you know, we mentioned a little bit about the officiating. I don't even necessarily think a few calls aside that the officiating was necessarily bad overall. No, I think I don't Arizona think so. didn't. I think Arizona didn't adjust to the way the game was being called with Colorado quickly enough because Colorado was aggressive. They were, you know, it was it was a. Very much like the Arizona ASU game, where Arizona was being aggressive and probably could have been called for a lot more fouls early on in that game if they wanted to call it tightly. They did not, and that was the same at the beginning of this game. And it took a little while for Arizona to adjust to that. Um, you know, part of that is that Evan Batty is both 300 pounds and somehow the person that flails the most at uh, any contact, um, which. I I have a love hate relationship with Evan Batty because I like really like how he's such a aggressive kind of guy but also boy he gets away with a lot and then gets a lot of calls for somebody that's 300 pounds and colorado made 11 of 23 pointers in that game which is more than 50 percent which is a good percentage <laughs> like, like arizona could not get stops in that game of course batty had the free throws when ben was playing aggressive defense like on an inbounds play like it it was really a it was an interesting call um, I think the color analyst mentioned that Ben was playing too aggressive defense and that Batty has a right to make a full swim move, which was not the best moment for the color analyst in that game, uh, I will say. But even then, like Colorado's a decent team. That's a tough place to go and win. Fine. And if you want to look at Arizona and say, well, they fought back, and you give them credit. I know Sean Miller was happy with the way his team bounced back and made a game and had the lead. Sure, that's your right. That's his right to do so. If you're looking at this team now where they're at with a few games left in the regular season, I guess a few games left in their season, it's like they're they're fine. They're, they're an average team. They're a little better than average. They're certainly capable of being much better than average on any given night. The talent is there. But just they're not good enough to consistently beat the better teams or to win those tougher games. You know, we're going to learn a lot this weekend. They get Oregon State and Oregon. You know, those are big games. You know, I mean, Oregon especially. And when I say big games in the context of, it's some of the last games they're going to be playing this season. But I don't know, like Kirk Carissa played over the weekend in the, in the Mountain Series, and he was showed some good passing, played hard, some emotion. His shooting wasn't quite there. He didn't make a three against Colorado. So maybe integrating him into the lineup was part of the issue. You know, with the roles. Are, I mean, it's kind of like a few years ago when Trier missed, like, the first 18 games or whatever. He comes in, it's like the team dynamic changes some. Now, granted, Alonzo Trier is a starter who is one of your leading guys, him stepping in is showing going to change things compared to maybe a role player coming off the bench. But just this whole season for 
for that reason and for every other reason, has been somewhat clunky in Arizona. I, I do like that they battled back against Colorado. You don't want to see them lose. You don't want to see them get blown out. Like They should not be getting blown out by Colorado. But they were getting blown out for close to 20 minutes of that game. <laughs> you know, they made it tougher on themselves. So, like, what does it mean for this team? Probably not a lot other than, yeah, they're talented, but they're not really good. Like, I think they're good, but they need to play well to win those tougher games. They did not play well in either of those games. Yeah, first I was going to say, we're burying the lead in this, that Kirk Carissa had the best combined one-for-six shooting debut of any basketball player ever <laughs> in his first two games. I, I actually do think Kirk Carissa impacted the game really positively um, in a lot of ways that don't show up in a stat sheet with sure. his on-ball defense and taking charges. Um, it does. To your point, one of the other things that kept coming up in my mind watching the Colorado game, and especially even re-watching it, knowing what the ultimate outcome was, I kept thinking to myself, boy, I hope they can maintain a lot of this roster next year because a lot of this is just immaturity, and I'm real curious to see what they can do with a bit more experience. Um, that being said, you know they've got a pretty strong recruiting class, kind of wing-heavy. Like Christian Coloco actually had some pretty nice plays this weekend, good catches on picks. He's rolls, gotten better this guys. season. He has improved over the course of the season. Yeah, you know, a lot of the guys have. Dalen, Dalen Terry, even when he's not, you know, he kind of struggled at Colorado, but he's a guy that helps make things move a little bit. You know, I think the real question is, is Ben Mathering going to come back uh, or has he played his way into a draft pick? You know, if he comes back, I think the sky's the limit for this roster. I think Jordan Brown has re- responded incredibly well to coming off the bench. He has been, he's been a much more aggressive offensive player uh, since then. Um, and that seems to really make a big difference. You know, to me, that game showed both the potential and the pitfalls of a young, inexperienced team that's learning to play together still. Um, and it makes me excited for the long term. And it, to your point, it makes me a lot happier to not have to worry about that impacting things like qualifying for the tournament or seeding. Well, and you mentioned Matherin. And, of course, before the season started, I was like, oh, this is a team that's going to be around for a while. But there was always the, ch- I want to say, chance, maybe the likelihood even, that not everyone was going to come back for another season. We didn't know who it would be. You know, I think there was talk either Ben or Terry would be one of the ones to go, whichever one kind of stepped up and was more ready to play. And certainly Ben looks to be more that guy. Like, they both have NBA potential. You know, Terry in a couple of years looks like, I mean, he's just lanky. He has to grow into his body. But he's got all the skills that you want, and he seems to have the right attitude. Matherin, he was asked in the press press conference on, I guess, today, it was February 9th, about that, you know, possibly going prone. He said that he's just, fo- right, he said, right now I'm just focused on finishing the season, getting the most wins possible, quote, I feel like it's a good freshman year. I've been putting in the work a lot. I have some aspects I have to work on my game in order to reach the next level, which basically is what you'd expect him to say. Like, he's not a for sure one and done. And he, he probably, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's thinking about the NBA, but is he thinking about the NBA after this season? We don't know. And the, but the talent is there. And he may not have to play his way into it. Like, if you're an NBA scout, you're watching this guy, you say, okay, we get him into our system. We get him focused on basketball 24-7. What can he become? Because he's got the height, the athleticism, he can shoot. He's, you know, there's nothing wrong with Ben Matherin as a prospect. So is it likely that these are his final games with Arizona? I don't know. Like, he could strike me as like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson kind of guy who's going to be around for two years. Just because, like, okay, you're a first-round pick now, but you play one more year as the guy as a sophomore and you're a lottery pick. You know, have one tournament run and all that. But I guess that is the one thing as we watch this team where the next – I, forget, I don't do the math. The, the final games of the season, like their final six, seven games that they're going to have of this season, is we don't know what it leads to. 
in terms of how much of this roster will be back. But seeing guys improve like they have over the course of the year, like Ben has gotten better. Akinjo, I think, has gotten better. You mentioned Jordan Brown. Uh, Tubelis has gotten better. You know, Coloco, like watching these guys improve does give you faith and some confidence that, yeah, this will continue to improve. Whoever's back next season, along with the guys they're bringing in, the new commitments, the new recruits, this is a team that will be good. You know, because I don't think they're a, they're, I think they're a good team this season, but they're not so good to where they can get away with playing bad or they're so good that they can get away with playing an okay game and beat other good teams. Yeah, I mean, you, you said we don't know if Ben is thinking about the NBA draft. No, we definitely know he's thinking about it. Oh, Whether I'm sure they're all thinking declares about it. Declares or yeah. not. You know, he's, he's, he can and really he should at least, you know, dip his toe in the water, put out feelers, right? Um, I think this team this has, has developed in the way we kind of largely expected in that they're better now than they were when the, at the beginning of the season. They'd be a team if if they're if they were playing in March that you know you could see kind of upsetting a few guys if they got hot and were gelling together at the same you know at the right time and peaking at the right time. Um, you know we'll we'll see. I think there's still plenty for them. They seem to still be. They seem to still think there's plenty for them to play for. Ben's talking about getting the most wins possible. They can play that spoiler thing. I think a lot of these guys know they're going to come back next year. I think most of these guys know they're going to come back next year. Um, you know, I, it's hard to tell, uh, Ben Matherin to not go to the NBA if he's pretty sure he's going to be a first round pick, but I do, I, I was actually thinking similarly on Rondé Hollis Jefferson, where people thought he was going to leave after one year and it served him very well to stick around a second. I actually think Ben Matherin's upside is higher than Rondé Hollis Jefferson's considerably because he's already shown a lot of development offensively. The offensive skill. Yeah. And I, I think it's almost the inverse. I think he needs to just show a little bit more develop on, development on the defensive side, and he could legitimately be a top 10 pick with a, a bit further development. But you know NBA you know, teams don't worry about that. They're going to look at him and say, we can mold him into something with our system. You know, better to have yeah, him now. Like, they're not waiting for him to be a finished product to take him in the first round or the back I, of the lottery necessarily. I, I can I can tell you they see raw athleticism and the fact that he has developed as a shooter far beyond any of our expectations from outside, and that probably means he's a first-round pick. Yeah, they're not going to be like, um, well, he could get better at defense. We'll let him do that in college. Like, if he if he declares an NBA draft after this season, he's getting taken in the first round. Probably. And so then it's a question of whether he wants to just get a first-round pick or if he wants to try to be a top-ten pick. Because mm-hmm. I think he legitimately could do that. Um, when I look at the roster... The, the player who I see that most, you know, everybody has the ability to come back, including the seniors, right? The player who I think has been maybe one of the most valuable all-around players is also who I think is maybe the most likely to leave and not for the NBA, which is Terrell Brown. Uh, I think he has played himself into a really nice overseas career, and it's, you know, him sticking around another year is just delaying a six-figure salary, and it's not like it's gonna he's going to play into a draft pick spot. Um, he might be the type who'd be more inclined to stick around than say, "Hey, I want to give it a." Sh-. I went. He went to Arizona to play in the NCAA tournament to play for a chance at a title. I mean, we don't know what these what their motivations are, but this team as no, it's don't. constructed, it's it's been a fairly enjoyable season, I think, even without the care of a potential championship. You know, and they're not going to win the Pac-12, but just see how many games they can win and watching them grow, watching some good players on that team figure out how to become more of a team, play together, and win. Uh, again, Oregon State, Oregon at home. 
Uh, they do have six games left this season, including those two. We'll see. You know, they're 13 and six. At least like Duke, I saw they lost tonight, and that's going to be their first losing season in many, many, many years. So even for Arizona, like a down year like this year is, two years ago was, they're still above 500. Now you could argue like the Pac 12 is not very good and their non conference has been softer, sure. But even in down years, like a down year like this, they're not bad. And to your point, they certainly haven't quit because. We wondered how that would go after they were declared or after they declared themselves ineligible for the postseason after the Colorado win. And they've been about 500 or so since then. But if they wanted to quit against Colorado, they could have quit against Colorado. You know, they, they didn't. If they wanted to quit against Stanford when they played them last time, like they didn't. They played hard. You know, they lost, but they played hard. So it's obviously not the best season Arizona's had. It's not the season anyone would hope for, not the one that you – it's not one that would be acceptable under normal circumstances, but given the context of what has happened and what is happening so far, I think it's about as good as you could expect and you'll take it. Is that fair? I think that's totally fair. And I think that's a fair assessment of the, of the team, the season so far and where they're going. Great. Well, so that's basketball again. They play the Oregon schools this weekend at McHale center. We'll see how that goes. We're going to take a break and we come back. We're going to talk to Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star about Arizona football because a lot's gone on with that program. It's a lot different now than it was in December, and we want to know more about it. All right, and we're back, and we're happy to be joined by friend of the program, Michael Lev. Uh, Tucson.com covers Arizona football better than, well, probably better than anyone does, I think, out there. Mike, thanks again for joining us here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the compliment. Glad to be back. How can I help? Well, it's been about a week or so since the second signing day, and the Arizona program's in a – I would – Brian and I have talked about a better spot than they have been, at least than they were when the season ended. The roster composition, the coaching staff seems to have some momentum. There's this new front office that you wrote about that we could talk about. Just your assessment of where Arizona football is right now on February 9th when we're recording. Yeah, I think that you're right. Um, the program is in a better place than a lot of us thought it would be. Um, things were looking pretty grim in mid-December. Um, the, the worst loss in the history of the Territorial Cup. A coach fired. Players leaving left and right. Um, and Jed Fish has done a really good job of just kind of keeping things together, bringing some guys back in, changing the talking points, which I think is more important than, than people might imagine. Um, you know, you want people to, A, be talking about your program. And not many people were nationally were talking about Arizona. And if they were, it wasn't in a positive light. No. And then, B, you want them to be talking about positive developments. And he's kind of managed to um, get people on that track by – his recruiting, the guys that he's hired for his staff, pretty much every move he's made has felt like the right move. Yeah, I think one of the critical things that we've seen since Jed Fish took over started with just re-recruiting guys back out of the transfer portal, right? Um, in addition to, to closing guys, my question for you, Michael, and I've, I've had this posed to a couple people even knowing who, who graduated, who left, uh, Grant Gannell obviously went to Memphis. Majon Wright is a big loss. 
is the roster today uh, going into next season better with the guys added in from the opted out last year uh, and the new guys added than it was going into last season, in your opinion? Uh, I would say that it is better in certain ways. Um, They have addressed some of their deficiencies, um, such as linebacker. Uh, a lot of young guys, but, you know, bringing in Treshawn Hayward, I think, is going to help a lot. Um, and a lot of, you know, a handful of those young guys got some good experience last year. Um, they hit the transfer portal hard, and you know, that enables you to bring in players who theoretically can help immediately, uh, as opposed to being on like, a two- or three-year kind of development track. Um, and so I think that's helpful as well. But um, you're also looking at a quarterback situation that's much more uncertain than what you had heading into 2020. And that's always a big factor, um, a a differentiator for many teams. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. They have at least, you know, improved the depth and improved the competition. Um, So now it's not just you know, Will Plummer and Kevin Doyle. It's also Jordan McLeod. It's also Gunnar Cruz. Kind of like, you know, may the best man win. Um, and the one other area that feels like a bit of a concern to me, and I'm sure we can get into other positions as we go along here, but, you know, the offensive line, it was so bad last year. <laughs> and it's mostly the same uh, cast of characters as a year ago, um, or less than a year, a few months ago. And it's going to be up to, you know, Brennan Carroll and the offensive staff to coach those guys up. You know, well, you, there's the, the cavalry is not on the way when it comes to that position. And as you guys saw in the Super Bowl with Kansas City, if you don't have an offensive line, you don't have anything on offense. That's a that's a really interesting position group to talk about, because I would even contend that the offensive line last year was basically what they had the prior year when it seemed to outperform expectations. And last year it just fell apart. Is the answer to that disparity just, just coaching or is it scheme or what is it in your mind? Well, the struggles of the line last year were a profound mystery. Um, I think sort of the hardest thing to figure out when you looked at the number of, starters who were returning the experience that that unit had i think there were several factors coaching was one of them i don't know how much of it was technique so much as you know figuring out the right personnel um i don't know if donovan lie ever should have been playing guard with peyton fears as a starting tackle and your top five i think they would have been better off putting donovan at right tackle um, moving Peyton inside or having someone else play inside. And maybe that's someone being you know, Josh Baker, a really impressive freshman, who's someone I think could definitely start um, this upcoming year at one of those guard spots. Um, Josh McCauley, I don't know how healthy he was the whole season. He hurt his knee in training camp. You know, I don't know if we ever got a percentage from him, but who, who knows? Maybe he was playing at 60 or 70% and, and was never quite right. Um, they had a lot of breakdowns in communication. Uh, it seemed like any time the other team blitzed, it just like wasn't handled properly. Um, that's definitely a coaching issue to me, that those guys were not properly trained or prepared for those situations. And the biggest challenge that any of the assistant coaches 
will face this upcoming season falls on Brennan Carroll to get that unit uh, playing at a decent enough level um, so that the quarterback can be protected and Arizona can move the football the way that Jed Fish wants to. Definitely. And one thing that you touched on earlier, you mentioned the quarterback situation. There's good depth there, but not really as comfortable maybe going into the season as they were last year. And it's maybe easy to forget that Grant Gannell wasn't exactly a proven commodity going into last season. He had, you know, one start under his belt. He played well in splitting time with Khalil Tate. When you look at what they have now with Gunnar Cruz, I imagine when he committed to Arizona, it's like, oh, that's the starter. Like, that's the guy. Then they go get Jordan McLeod. You still have Will Plummer. Just when you look at this quarterback battle, and I know Jed Fish did say they're going to roll the ball out there and let the best man win the job. But your early perspective on who do you think that best man will be? Because you can make a case for most of these guys to have the lead, I guess, like when the competition starts, right? Yeah, I don't know how to handicap it at this point. Um, I know that Jordan McLeod has the most experience on the college level and finished his career at USF really strong with a great game against their rival, um, UCF, um, and brings a little bit of a different skill set. It's a little bit more mobile, uh, more of a dual threat. Uh, Gunnar Cruz is kind of your classic pocket passer, extremely strong arm, very aggressive tendencies. Um, just looking at his high school highlights, I mean, he's chucking the ball downfield um, all the time. So uh, you like the physical traits there. I talked to him uh, a couple weeks ago, very intelligent young man, seems to have um, some good leadership traits. I did not put this in the story, but he his favorite player was Tim Tebow. And he talked a lot about his character, you know, that he was just a a guy who was able to elevate everyone around him. And that's kind of an essential part uh, of that quarterback job. Will Plummer, uh, I thought he flashed when he played last year, but I also thought that he looked like someone who wasn't quite ready for prime time yet. You know, he looked raw. He made some critical mistakes. He needs more time. He's going to obviously get hopefully here a whole spring which he didn't get a year ago, um, which should help him immensely. And then Kevin Doyle is a real mystery. Um, when we've never seen him play in college, he was a really good high school player. Um, you know, played, uh, was the Washington, D.C. area Gatorade player of the year as a senior, played a really tough schedule. Um, you know, I've heard that he's got really good physical tools, but, you know, he never moved up the depth chart for whatever reason. Um, everyone gets a you know clean slate at this point, but we just don't know what we're going to get uh, from him. So um, I think the best thing you can say is that they have a lot of options at the moment, and they're going to you know let the guys compete for it in spring. Jordan McLeod is not going to be there in spring, um, so he's going to be a little bit behind the other guys. But I think that is offset by the fact that he's also has the most experience. So I don't think it'll be too difficult for him to catch up. I'm sure he'll get here as soon as he can um, after getting his degree in early May. And we're talking to Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. One thing about those quarterbacks, too, Brett and I had talked, and I think it was before Gunnar Cruz committed, before he committed to Arizona, we're like, okay, whoever Arizona goes to get at quarterback is going to tell us a lot about the offense they're going to run, right? Do they go with more of a dual threat, a pocket passer? Because we don't know what Jet Fish is going to run at Arizona. They go get, go get Gunnar Cruz, like, okay, Big NFL-style pocket passer, cannon for an arm, fine. Then they go get Jordan McLeod, who's more of the dual threat guy. And 
from where you can see right now, like, do we have any better idea of what kind of offense Jed Fish is going to run? Because we're giving a lot of, I guess, credit to this coaching staff where if it's a better coaching staff, better game plans, better everything, you know, the guys they did have before should play better. But do we have an idea of what this offense might look like? Because based on the quarterbacks they went out and got, they're so different, it seems like. Yeah. Um, I think and hope that it's going to be something resembling a Shanahan type of offense, um, which is, you know, you're under center a decent amount of time. Uh, you're doing a lot of uh, zone blocking in the run game uh, where you know, that's to sort of put it simply, like all the linemen are kind of moving in the same direction. Um, and, you know, that is that kind of one cut running uh, attack where you kind of you, you wait for the hole to open, you put your foot in the ground and go. And then you do a lot of play action off of that. Um, and you move the quarterback out of the pocket um, a decent amount of time as well. I think it's going to be something like that. Um, I heard Jed Fish say, I can't remember if this was uh, an interview that I did with him or one that he did with someone else. He was talking about uh, this idea that he wants the quarterback to be able to execute what he's asking uh, the quarterback to do, yet also have the ability, if things break down, to buy time, create, um, improvise a, a little bit. Um, I don't think that's going to be the foundation of the offense. I think it's sort of a supplemental piece. I don't think he wants, like, kind of like what we saw out of Khalil Tate toward the latter part of his career, where it was a lot of just like running around and, you know, go, go deep and I'll throw it as far as I can. Yeah, I don't think he wants that. Uh, but I do think he um, wants the quarterback to have enough athleticism where they can uh, make a play if things break down because we know that things are going to break down, and he knows it too. Um, he's, you know, he saw what that offensive line was like. I don't think there's any expectation that, you know, the line's going to go from like the worst in the league to the best overnight. Um, so you better have, you know, at least enough athleticism to move around a little bit, uh, reset the pocket, um, make a play on the perimeter. And I think even though I described Gunnar Cruz as a pocket passer, he did show enough athleticism on his high school film where there's a reasonable expectation that he can do that. Do do you think kind of continuing that line of questioning? Do you think that Jed Fish inherently is less of a slave to uh, the system as as maybe some prior coaching staffs? Because it seems like with the way they're approaching quarterback recruiting, and even the way Don Brown talks about the defense, he you know talks about three man front, four man front. You know, it's we'll do all those things. Do you think that Jed Fish is striking you so far as somebody that's more willing to? Oh, I don't know. Say go under center on fourth and goal from the six inch line rather than go uh, shotgun and adapt his adapt his scheme to the to the talent. He has said that he doesn't want to, you know, create a system that's too complicated to learn. Number one, which I think is is a smart idea. Um, and I think there's going to be a degree of flexibility built into it, depending on who the quarterback is and what the quarterback's strengths are. I think it would be foolish to operate otherwise. Um, you know, like why? That, that was, again, going back to Khalil Tate, that was, that was a conflict that was persistent throughout, um, you know, his last two seasons. 
at Arizona under Noel Mazzoni. It's like it was that whole square peg round hole situation, you know. Um, I think Jed Fish has been around long enough. He's been under a lot of different coaches and he's smart enough to, you know, once he identifies who his quarterback is to figure out, you know, how can I best utilize the talents uh, of this player uh, within the general framework of, of what he likes to do. That seems so simple, right? <laughs> like, yes, that should be coaching. You have whatever talent you have, fit your offense, fit your defense to the guys you have. And yet you say that as if it's like, it's not always the case. Is that just because coaches are stubborn? Coaches are like, hey, we're going to do it our way because we know our way works like this. It's Otherwise, it seems like, why wouldn't you do that, right? Oh, 100%. Coaches are stubborn, you know, and they have big egos. And they oftentimes think that they're the smartest guy in the room. A lot of times they are the smartest guy in the room. Um, but Jed Fish said in his last media availability something to the effect of, you know, not wanting to 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 paint like sort of paint themselves into a corner uh in that regard you know um the the reference was you know i don't want to have an offense that takes five months to learn you know and when i first asked him about his scheme and so forth he said something to the effect of you know it's it's simple yet it looks complicated you know like they're gonna run maybe a, a, a pretty um limited number of plays and they'll kind of dress it up in different ways. Learn that to, from McVay to, probably. From yeah, time right, with the Rams, to, yeah. Right. To sort of keep the defense off balance or keep the defense on its heels. Yeah, kind of taking that up you know, that concept in mind of adapting to your players. I know Don Brown talked about that I mentioned a second ago. I want to move over to the defense and get your perspective on Don Brown's defense and the the state of the defensive roster and where what, what is your current view of the roster and adopting the new scheme, and how do you see that playing out for the Wildcats this coming season? Yeah, uh, as mentioned earlier, they're in better shape now at linebacker for sure than they were heading into last season when they mm -hmm. lost, as we all know, Colin Schooler and Tony Fields um, during the offseason and just a devastating uh, blow uh, to longtime, durable, productive starters, the leaders of the D. Um, really forced them into scramble mode. Um, they were also switching to a 3-4 defense, which required more linebackers. So it was just a bad uh, set of circumstances. Um, they got a bunch of defensive linemen back, uh, guys who could have left as, uh, as seniors who are taking advantage of an extra year of eligibility. Aaron Blackwell is in that group. Trayvon Mason's in that group. Miles Tapasoa. Uh, J.B. Brown is coming back and seems to be in really good shape based on some of the pictures he was posting. Um, someone who I've always thought has a ton of potential uh, and never fully realized it after a promising you know, sophomore season. Um, Jalen Harris, I think, is going to be a full-time defensive end now. His brother is coming in, someone with a ton of potential. Um, so I actually think you know the front seven could be decent. The, the bigger concerns to me are in the secondary um, I, I love the idea and the and the addition of Isaiah Rutherford. Um, not a lot of guys of that caliber have come to Arizona in recent years and plays a position of need. You know, him and Christian Roland Wallace at corner, that seems like a pretty good duo, but who's behind them? You know, I think depth 
to me, is still a major concern at corner, especially when you're asking your guys to play man a lot, like a majority of the time. You know, that means you're you're running full full speed, full sprint, you know, over and over and over again. You can't just play two guys like they did for most of last season uh, when they had uh, Christian Roland Wallace and Lorenzo Burns. I mean, if those guys were healthy, they were out there and no one else was playing corner. They're not going to be able to get away with that. Um, safety, like linebacker, they brought in uh, a lot of new guys. They have, um, you know, taken care of the, the depth concerns at that position. Uh, but there's a lot of youth there, uh, number one. Uh, and number two, you know, of the guys who are returning, I don't think any of them to me look like a free safety. They all look like they were better off as kind of box safety types and there's a, a place for that apparently in this defense you know i don't know what the second safety position is going to be there's that viper spot that's kind of a hybrid there's many candidates to play that um but you know jed fish has referenced that they're going to play what he called a post high defense which i interpret as a single high safety much of the time with man coverage on the outside who is that free safety going to be is that Gunnar maldonado is that the role that they envision for him, or is that somebody else? Does that person even exist on the roster? I'm not sure. Well, they certainly helped that defense through the transfer portal, too. You mentioned guys like Maldonado, Rutherford, uh, Treshawn Howard. It seemed like, I guess, when you need the plug-and-play type of guys, that's the way to go about it, right? This isn't like going in Juco's to start. Like These are multi-year guys outside of Howard, I guess. But it seems like they really did attack the defense, specifically those positions, to get some high-end talent like that. They did. Again, they were very selective. Um, I think they were smart the way that they went about it. Um, they targeted positions that they needed. They got guys who went to high school in Arizona. Um, they acted quickly and decisively. Four of those guys are going to be able to participate in spring practice, which is a huge deal. And they also left a couple spots open. And I think that's smart, too. If, if I were them, uh, I would see what you've got in spring you know you never know who's going to get injured you maybe thought that a certain position was strong or weak and it might turn out to be the opposite of that you know as of today like I feel like they need another corner and another wide receiver and maybe another offensive lineman but who knows what that picture is going to look like once you've concluded spring practice and there's no shortage of options um, in the transfer portal if you want to go that route. And you mentioned how Arizona, they had a plan. They were decisive. They acted quickly. I imagine a lot of that has to do with the front office model or the new approach they have. And you wrote about this for Tucson.com, Arizona Daily Star. A column titled Jedfish brings, quote, NFL approach to Arizona expanded restructured personnel department. Uh, can you give us a little bit more insight into that? Because I remember a few years ago, ASU did that with Herm Edwards, their pro model. And you mentioned that in the piece. And it was like, yeah, okay, I guess it's just, is it just getting NFL coaches or is it more to it? And for ASU, it's obviously been pretty successful up to this point. And for Arizona to be taking their own either spin on that or trying to mimic that, copy that, like it seems to have helped already. Yeah, I think the idea behind it is just to sort of uh, clearly separate and define everybody's duties, and you know, limit what you know, limit what's on the plate of the coaches. To basically coaching and recruiting, you know, obviously Jed Fish as the head coach is going to have some sort of 
you know, like general manager uh, type uh, responsibilities. Um, you know, he saw uh, Bill Belichick um, uh, man that role when uh, he was at New England. Um, that was that's the way that Bill ran um, his organization. That's not for everybody, uh, for sure. Um, it, it's it's a lot to have on your plate, especially in the NFL. Um, but you know, Jed Fish came to Arizona with an idea of how he wanted to structure things, and he utilized his experiences uh, in college and the NFL to come up with that plan. He you know presented it to. Dave Hickey and uh, Bobby Robbins, and they signed off on it, which was critical. Um, there are more people uh, working in the quote unquote front office for Arizona than there were before. You know, you have uh, Matt Doherty uh, coming in from uh, Miami and NC State as the director of player personnel, kind of the overseer of the operations um, side of things. You've got Matt Hayes, who um, has a Pretty extensive background in business. He was with the Seattle Dragons of the XFL uh, for a year, and he's kind of uh, Fish's right-hand man, um, someone who's going to help him a lot with a, a lot of the administration duties. Um, his official title is Associate Athletic Director. Ryan Partridge comes in as you know your coordinator of high school recruiting. Um, I think we know what that job is. And then he also brings in Brandon Sanders, uh, another member of, um, you know, some of the great Arizona teams of the past, uh, been a big figure around town um, as a local high school coach, as the coordinator of football alumni and high school relations, um, who's going to try to, you know, help to build a lot of those relationships with coaches and high schools, especially within the state of Arizona, while also, you know, helping to build the bridge with the football alumni who have wanted to be a part of this. And based on um, what we're seeing and hearing about the Zoom calls that Jed Fish has set up pretty regularly, they have been a part of it. So um, those are you know, four of the, of the main guys they brought in. Of course, Teddy Bruschi, as we all know, is also going to be part of this more in a, in a part-time uh, kind of way as an advisor from afar as needed basis. Uh, but a bit, again, huge name on the marquee, right? Talked earlier about kind of the changing the narrative. Um, really good publicity to have someone like Teddy Bruschi as part of your organization, considering um, how successful he was in the NFL and also how, how high profile he still is as an ESPN NFL analyst. Oh, for sure. And you give all those names of people they brought on and I think you're on the article they have 24 support staffers and they have plans to add two more and that's more than they had under Kevin Sumlin and it's a lot more than they had with Rich Rodriguez is this an active change in approach like to have the finances to have the desire to go do that with this coaching staff is that because they're making a concerted effort that they believe in Jedfish more or is it a matter of maybe there's like if we don't do this then it's not going to get any better like what's led to this increased I guess focus on building out that quote-unquote front office for this football staff yeah, I mean, I think part of it is keeping up with the Joneses. You know, it's what everybody else is doing. And if you want to be competitive, you know, you better do do those same things. Um, I think part of it is a belief um, within the administration that football has underachieved here for a long time. 
and that significant changes needed to be made, that the approach needed to be different, um, and that if you really invest in the product, that it can turn around in a significant way. And, you know, assuming that fans are allowed to attend games in the fall, um, there's no bigger revenue driver among, among the sports than football, right? I mean, 50, you can get 40 to 45,000 fans uh, at a game, uh, merchandise, refreshments, you know, all of that stuff uh, six or seven times a year. Um, and that's millions and millions of dollars. And, um, you know, there's nothing quite like it when the football program is going. We've seen it in blips here and there. You know, there are periods of excitement, 2014, 2017. It has not been consistent for the better part of 20 years. And the task of Jed Fish is to try to turn that around. Yeah, it seems like I think we'd all probably say that we've been kind of pleasantly surprised with the since the announcement of Jed Fish that the, the long-term direction and trajectory with the long-term decision-making has been pretty good. But my question for you, Mike, before we let you go, and thank you again for joining us, is, you know, we're doing all these right things in the long term, you know, hypothetically with the staff and recruiting uh, decisions being made, investing in Arizona, et cetera. But I want to talk a little bit about your perspective before we let you go of what's what's next year going to bring for this Arizona Wildcats team? You know, from your from where you're sitting right now, uh, what is the worst case scenario, best case scenario and most likely outcome going into next year? Good question. Did you guys happen to see Bill Connolly's SP plus uh, rankings on ESPN.com that came out today? I did not. All right. Well, he, you know, he has a system that he uses to project, um, you know, future success or rank teams. Basically, um, he had a clump of uh, Pac-12 teams in the top 25. He had USC 17, Arizona State 18, Utah 19, uh, UCLA 21. Arizona was pretty far down the list here, number 92 hey, in top the country. 100. Yeah, hey, top 100, right? So that that's good. Um, it's based on returning production, recent recruiting, and recent history. Um, so those are not, you know, those are like three great areas <laughs> for the Wildcats. I mean, let's be honest. They still have some problems personnel-wise. We talked about the uncertainty at quarterback. The offensive line was bad last year. We didn't get into the fact that, like, the wide receiving core, well, it kind of looks good on paper, and they got some guys back. There's still a lot of question marks there. Um, you know, bring in this great defensive coordinator and Don Brown, who is, has been awesome at creating pressure everywhere he's been, but he's inheriting a group of players who have not generated sacks or tackles for losses um, at any sort of decent rate in a long time. Um, so that's a problem. Uh, we mentioned the, the cornerback issue as far as depth goes, some uncertainty at safety, whether they have the right guys to run the system that, Don Brown wants to run. So that's a lot, you know, and uh, ASU, I think, is going to be really good next year. USC is always USC. Uh, Utah is kind of always Utah. Uh, UCLA brings back a ton of production. So it's a fairly stacked division in the Pac-12 South. Um, new coach, lots of new personnel. Uh, the worst case scenario is probably 1-11. Um, I don't think they're going to finish 1-11. 
because uh, they have upgraded the roster, and it seems like this coaching staff knows what it's doing. Um, the best case scenario, maybe five and seven, and realistically, you're probably looking at something in between. Uh, if they can go, and, and this doesn't sound great to anybody, but if they can go four and eight in Jed Fish's first season, considering that they've lost 12 games in a row, and what the last um, image was that we had of Arizona football, I think that would that would be a pretty good start. I was going to say, if they just win one game, preferably like the first one, just not get that monkey <laughs> off their back. It's like, hey, this is already better than last year. Uh, Michael Lev, thanks again for joining us. Do you have anything coming out that you want to plug for Wildcat Radio 2.0 listeners, anything that's coming down the pipeline soon? Well, yeah, hey, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are fans of Arizona baseball, and the baseball season uh, is starting on February 19th. And I'm going to be out there uh, at High Corbett Field um, as often as humanly possible. Uh, it's be very limited uh, seating uh, for media, but they found a spot for me um, in the socially distanced press box. And I'm going to have a bunch of stories coming out over the next uh, week and a half here previewing the 2021 season. So Jay Johnson's team is going to be really good this year. I mean, they were probably really good last year if it wasn't canceled and then they bring back a lot. I know they lost some talent, but they bring back quite a bit too, right? Best, yeah, best pitching staff, best um, collection of arms that they've had since I started covering the team, I feel like. Um, and my first year was 2016 when they went to the College World Series and almost won it. So, um, I, you know, it all starts on the mound, as Jay Johnson likes to say. And I think he's done a really good job of, of building that side of it up. Well, great. Well, we'll hopefully get you back on sometime during baseball season, too, to talk about that because we are definitely big Arizona baseball fans, too. But, Michael Lev, thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Michael Lev on Wildcat Radio 2.0. we come back, let's talk about that low ranking for the Wildcats, but, again, they are top 100. And we're back for one final segment here. And as Michael Lev talked about, and we hadn't looked at it before, actually, but since Michael was so kind enough to alert us to this. Bill Connolly from ESPN did his college football preseason SP plus projections. And yeah, you have to scroll down quite a bit, Brett, to find Arizona number 92 out of 130. So Arizona, not as good as ECU or Georgia Southern or UTSA, but man, Rutgers, Colorado State, FAU, Western Kentucky, Navy, Duke, Rice, yeah. Hey, how does that double, view look? Double digits, baby. <laughs> In the 90s, number 10, still double digits. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not surprising, right? Like, obviously, when they're looking at recruiting and recent success um, and returning production, like Arizona doesn't have much returning production. They went 0-5 last season. Their recent recruiting has been the bottom third, bottom, really, yeah, bottom third of the Pac-12 for the last few years. And their recent history is forgettable. So if you're looking at a way to judge them going into the season, there's no reason to think that, yep, they're going to be a good football team. And even Lev was saying he thinks most likely like best case is like a five-win season. Most likely is between like probably around three or four. And if it's four, you'd absolutely take that. You know, and that doesn't seem like a good season. But for Arizona, where they're at right now, like their SP plus rating is probably a bit deceiving. And what we would hope to see out of them record-wise is somewhat underwhelming. But that's just where they're at. Well, and I, I think Arizona is harder to peg using those traditional approaches. And I don't think that's just me being a, a Homer fan, right? Like you can't get around, you know, 
un, you know, winless season last year, right? But if you look at like, let's look at returning production. Yeah, the team was bad, but also Arizona had a fairly large number of opt-outs, but because they didn't have the depth, it really impacted their ability to produce with who's returning. And there's a lot of guys coming back that opted out that probably would have had fairly prominent roles, thinking guys like J.B. Brown, uh, Christian Young, you know, there's, and I'm sure I'm forgetting like, you know, another handful of guys that would have been significant players. And then I'm curious to know in terms of, you know, the recruiting classes coming in and the recruiting ranking, the overall talent ranking, does that account for the transfers in? Um, because it that's, doesn't know, you know, what is it? There's like eight or nine transfers in who are still relatively young, but some of these guys, you know, Jason Harris, uh, Rutherford from Notre Dame are four star type guys at positions of need. You know, the big Maldonado, question, mark, I think, Gunner yeah, Cruz, Maldonado, yeah. Drake the Gunners, Anderson, really? Yeah. Um, you know, Trey between that and then, and then we've talked about in the past this year's incoming recruiting class, which may not be relied upon that heavily because it's, you know, a lot of freshmen out of high school, but, in these COVID times, how many how many of those guys are, you know, never blew up because COVID never allowed it with no camps? Yeah. And we just don't know. And then, of course, the the great mystery for Arizona is, you know, we talked about a lot with Lev is it all starts and stops to some extent with the with the quarterback and even Gunnar Cruz, who is pretty, uh, you know, pretty prevalent as a passer in in high school in, in Arizona in Queen Creek, I believe. You know, he didn't play that much at Washington State, but he's got a big arm. The, the measurables are there. Uh, you know, with Jordan McLeod, maybe you go that route. There's there's, there's quantity if it's unknown quality. Well, there's no sure sense. thing. There's no sure thing at that position. And I think if you want to be optimistic with this, like I was like, you're saying, like going into last season, we all thought we knew we had what we saw in Grant Cannell. And it's like, yeah, he was about as expected. But there wasn't a huge sample size from him. There was just somewhat of a sample size in that offense, and the thought was he was a perfect fit for Noel Mazzoni's system. You know, going into this season, we're not entirely sure what Jed Fish's system is other than, as Michael was telling us, is that just make the most of what the talent you have. You know, whichever quarterback wins the job, cater and build an offense towards that guy's strength. If it's Gunnar Cruz, probably more downfield. If it's Jordan McLeod, you know, maybe a few more of like the reads and the read options, things like that. If it's Will Plummer, like, or Kevin Doyle, like what they do best. And if you want to look at this team and say, there's a reason why they'll outperform these expectations, you're giving this new coaching staff, like they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting for that. Because we could look at it and say, well, the last coaching staff did a poor job developing the talent they had, a poor job of scheming for the talent that they had. Whereas if you believe in Jed Fish in this group that he's assembled, then you say, hey, that might be worth like an extra win and a half on its own because just a better coaching staff. You know, because it's possible. A bad coaching staff doesn't do what, like, a bad coaching staff will not get nearly as much of a certain amount of talent as they could, you know? Like, there might be players on this team, on this roster, who are better players, and we think better players than we know because a coaching staff, for whatever reason, was holding them back. So if you look at Don Brown's defense as a better fit for some of these guys, if you look at Jed Fish's offense to be catered to what he has there, then you can make a case for the fact that they'll be a better team than expected. Now, how much better? It's a lot to ask for them to be, you know, like when Rich Rod took over in his first year, they won seven games, you know, eight games if you include the bowl game. That's a tough ask. But could they be a competitive four to five win team? Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, I, you know, 
Lev said five and seven is maybe the high end. I think if you really want to stretch, I could even see a, a path to 500 if everything just absolutely breaks the right way. You know, and, you know, you're talking about we're putting in a new system and nobody even knows exactly what that is, especially, you know, I think we know what it's going to be on defense in general. But, you know, what the offense looks like, I don't think anybody really has a clear <laughs> sense of that. And, you know, look at, you know, the early schedule. I think Arizona opens up with BYU in, in Vegas. Like, does just coming in with a completely new system with all of these unknown quantities, when you're when you're a puncher's chance kind of team, does that up your puncher's chance, right? To, to sneak, sneak a game or two early with, when somebody's not ready for what you're going to be bringing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they go to, to Vegas and get blown out by the Cougars, but you know, if, if, if things fall the right way, I could see them being competitive in that game, even as a team that has, you know, demonstrable holes in the roster and things like that. But maybe that the coaching staff can scheme around that and kind of surprise guys. And, and not for nothing, Arizona was competitive in three of their five losses last season. They had leads in three of their five losses. You know, they probably should have beat USC to open the season. They, if Canel doesn't get hurt, I'm confident they beat UCLA. You say it wasn't that good. And then Colorado, <laughs> that game, if Canel played, I think they would have beat Colorado because Colorado, I know by their podcasts love us, but Colorado wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, of course, but the last time we saw Arizona, they lost 70 to 7 with those guys. And yeah, so that's what we remember. But <laughs> like, again, they're number 92 in the rankings. They're not exactly thought of that highly. And there's not a lot of reason. Like, there's nothing that's happened on the field to make you say, yeah, they're better than that. But you can look at the coaching staff. You can look at some of the players that are coming back. You can look at some of the transfers that they brought in. And just the change around the roster, and like Lev was saying, it's a, overall, it's probably a better roster than they were last season. You know, better yeah. and certainly better in some areas, probably a little worse or the more questions than others. But just as a whole, they're in better shape than they were. And if it's not going to be for the 2021 season, then for 2022 and beyond, you certainly feel better about where the program is at. And that's what this was all about this whole offseason. When you replace Kevin Selman, it wasn't just about coming in and doing better in 2020. It was trying to just reset the program as a whole because they hit rock. We hope it was rock bottom last season. You know, they've lost 12 in a row. Hopefully it doesn't, that's as bad as it gets for them. So it doesn't have to be about this year. But what's happened since Jed Fisher was hired with the transfers they brought in, with the recruiting class, with the coaches, bringing Teddy Bruschi back into the fold and all these alums who are now excited about the program again. Like, that's just part of this reset of Arizona football that if it works, again, we may not see it this season, but we'll start to see it soon enough. Yeah, I think that's fair. And my, I guess I have a question for you, Adam. Like, is Arizona the most unknown quantity in the Pac-12 as a football roster, or do we just know that they're really that bad, or is the record deceiving? I, I can all those questions be answered with a yes? I, <laughs> I, I think it's tough because, like, even like Lev was saying, he thinks ASU is going to be really good next season, and maybe, but they played four games. They had a huge, that month off with their code. We don't know much about ASU going into next season. You know, they beat Arizona and they beat Oregon State last season. Great. You know, those were not exactly two good teams. You know, UCLA, with what they're doing, like, I think there's a lot of question marks in terms of, like, what we don't know. Like, we're obviously closer to Arizona. We know what we don't know about them. But I think for a lot of programs, there's so much unknown right now in the Pac-12. But, you know, like, who's the, who are the best teams at the conference? I don't think we know. But, like, I would say Arizona has plenty because they have a new coaching staff. Like, I'm trying to think that anyone else replaced their coaching staff 
this season in the Pac-12? I, uh, I don't think so. Certainly no. not the entire staff. No, no, I don't think so because Chip Kelly's still at UCLA. Nothing else happened in the South. Yeah, so like Arizona's the only school that changed their coaching. So that's that's a big thing. Well, and I I think back to the ASU game where Arizona between opt outs. Why would you do that? Why would you think back to the ASU game? <laughs> Fair, but like you know they had what fifty three scholarship players even playing, so it was like they were already a shell of a of a roster at that point, and a a team that finally quit on the coaching staff. And you invite all these guys back that. You know, look at Edgar Barola. You know, Peyton Fears was starting because Edgar Barola was basically semi-kicked off the team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no no offense to Peyton Fears, but there is no world in which uh, Edgar Barola starting at right tackle is not a better situation for the Wildcats <laughs> and Grant Gannell, right? Because God bless him, but he just struggled, right? Uh, and there's there's a lot of those little things, you know, the guys that opted out that aren't playing that were replaced by walk-ons, right? Losing Connor or Colin Schooler and Tony Fields. Yeah, there's, I, I think, I think if you're going to answer all those questions with yes, to, to, that you, that you said, Adam, I think that's a sign that yes, this is the team. Like we, we're closer to this program than most people. And I really, if I'm really honest with myself, I don't know what to expect out of this roster, whether it could be one win or six wins. Right. And mm-hmm. none of, none of them would anywhere in between would not surprise me. Because we've never and, seen them play with this coaching staff. We don't know if this coaching staff can get more out of them than the previous one did. We kind of assume they can't because the last coaching staff didn't get much out of that roster, at least not record-wise. It's not the last time we saw them, but we just don't know. And that's that's what you're supposed to go with the new coaching staff, though. You're supposed to have that excitement of, hey, maybe things can be better. It's supposed to bring you some optimism. Even if it's tepid optimism, saying, hey, like they might be better. Better might only be four wins, but, hey, better is better. But that that's why you do this. Also, four wins gets us a pack of beer from Ronnie. This is true. This is true. So, Ronnie, as you listen to this, we're not going to let you forget. (laughs) Verbal contracts are binding, Ronnie, and I'm marrying a lawyer. I will enforce that. (laughs) Especially verbal contracts in Wildcat Radio 2.0. But I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Everyone, thank you. Like Ronnie and everyone else, thank you for listening this week. <laughs> you know, make sure you're following Wildcat Radio A at Wildcat Radio A Z, the Twitter handle for some of the in game content or whatever else we got going on on the network. Make sure you uh, subscribe and download the show, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere you can get your podcast, you know, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. But otherwise, everyone make sure you stay healthy out there. You know, hopefully we get a couple of Wildcat basketball ones to talk about next week. But until then Remember to bear down. Bear down.